if you don't like the career, the big picture thing that you're doing, you're not going to like everything about every job or the relationship or where you live. If you just are trying to make yourself like something and do what you might be able to do it because you're really smart and you can trick yourself, it's going to be very stressful. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. I think we're good. Oh my gosh, we've had so many tech challenges. This is our third time trying. Hello. I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 246 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to our podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. You know my purpose. It is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Not one. So, of course, I am just delighted to introduce you to Blair Postman. Blair hails from Baltimore by way of New Jersey, Virginia, D.C., and North Carolina. And she's been a stand-up comedian. You've heard this how many times now, Blair? No, I'm just like, yeah, that's a lot. And has been a stand-up comedian for almost a decade. She headlines indie clubs and alt rooms and features for world-renowned comedians in nationally branded clubs around the country. She also performs regularly in New York at clubs and on shows such as Butter Boy at Littlefield and Good God at Union Hall. Blair has also been featured on PBS NewsHour and on podcasts for her stand-up, including The Jackie and Lori Show, The Dorkfest, and many more. Her stand-up? has also landed her spots in comedy festivals, including 10,000 Laughs, where she was named Best of the Fest, San Francisco Sketch Fest, Asheville Comedy Festival, Limestone Comedy Festival, and many more. On top of all of that, Blair loves cats. Go figure. Blair, did I get all of that right? I mean, other than maybe not appreciating cats enough, yes, yes, all of that was correct. I'm a dog person, although I had one cat, Look, it's too late, Tracy. No, the cat's name was Cat, and he was amazing. He was so cute, but you know what, Blair? 
He wagged his tail. He came when you called. He was a dog trapped in a cat's body. No, that's what people who don't hang around cats say because they don't know that cats do that. Oh. Look, we can make this a very different podcast if you want, but I feel like we should better move on. My husband's allergic, so that's my excuse, and I'm sticking with Okay. I'm not going to hear dissing dogs. I like dogs. <laughs> no, no. I love cats when they're, when they're nice, when they're not scary cats. Then I'm scared right. of them. Okay. So the first thing that I want to tell you, Blair, you do not need to be funny here. That sounds like so much pressure. I know you can't help it, but I just want to throw that out to you as a lifeline in, in case you wanted to come and just be really like, you know, an open book. I you, do that in my solo show all the time. You'd be surprised how often I'm not funny. Okay. So tell me. I want to know about your ADHD diagnoses first. What are the circumstances? When did it happen? Blah, blah, blah. I would say it happened a long time ago. I had never heard of ADHD. I didn't know that was a thing. I am reflection. I think it was probably the very late 90s, um, 98, 99, just before I turned 30. And I had heard a talk show on the local NPR station about this new thing, which was not new. Um, ADHD back then it was ADD. And I was like, boy, all of that sounds awfully familiar. And I got a diagnosis. Not a lot happened for a long time. Now I look back and I've read things and I'm, I, some, somebody was getting Ritalin. Somebody was getting med- offered medication, but I was certainly not. 11 year old boys. Yeah, right. I was not. Um, I say that I was told Back then, it was just like, make a lot of lists, and here's a box of wishes. Like, that was it. Then for a little while, I did get some, oh, gosh, it's uh, it's the same medicine that is also like a Wellbutrin, mm. which really didn't do anything except maybe make you a little more relaxed about all the kind of chaos <laughs> that you were kind of fine with, but the rest of the world wasn't. Um, it really, I think I didn't fight too hard for that, uh, for something different for a long time because I bought into all the things I heard back then and still here today, though, with less frequency that it's not real, that I just need to be more organized, that everybody forgets things sometimes. Everybody's a little ADHD as I Sing all the hits, you know all you know all the words, and because of a, a whole life upbringing, now I believe in large part because of having ADHD, where I was, you're disappointing, you're clearly so smart, you clearly could do this. Sometimes you get A's, sometimes you get C. You know, it's trigonometry. One semester it's an A, the next semester it's a C. You just need to try harder. You just need to get organized and. You know, I had internalized all these things that I did wrong and everything was my fault. And I really was just a kind of a disappointment. So when I would hear that ADHD wasn't real, it wasn't that I denied having it. It's just I never talked about it. And anything I did with it, I was very on the down low. I'd say I didn't really start getting treated in a really thoughtful way until my 40s. Were you ashamed of having it when you were diagnosed? No, I wasn't. I was relieved to be diagnosed with it. I thought it was true. If there was any kind of shame, and I'm not sure it was exactly shame, it might have just been not wanting to deal with other people's bullshit. By the way, can we swear on this show? Of course um, you can. That 
never made it anybody else's problem, so to speak. I mm-hmm. never asked for anything. You know, I would talk about it with the doctor and maybe mention it to like a significant other, maybe once in a while. And that's it. I didn't talk about it to other people. I didn't ask for accommodations. I didn't even always ask for like what other medicines are available, what other treatments, what other guidelines, coaches, whatever might be available. I didn't look for any of that. And it was only when I was in my 40s, which is probably coincides with the time where the amount of clinical scientific information about, hey, we've done brain scans. You know? mm-hmm. like, we can see the difference in the, in the brain activity. We can see the difference in the way the receptors uptake. I'm going to mess this up. Serotonin or, or dopamine. We, can, yeah. we see the physical differences. It is real. That's when I started getting treated. And I didn't really, though, even I didn't even know when we started quarantine, I didn't know the word neurodivergent. It wasn't a thing. And I started exploring how frustrating and how it, had, how it had clearly impacted my life, but I wasn't really assessing until I was 50. It wasn't until then when I really started getting down deeper into it. So was it not until your 50s where you started to realize that, oh, challenges, but guess what? I have these great strengths and they, it is because of my ADHD. Tracy, I always knew I had strengths. Oh, I never doubted my strengths. No, was related to ADHD. No, I didn't know that it was all related to ADHD. I'd say I started to know that in my 40s. I just thought I had a spark. And I just would fluctuate between loving all the things about my particular flavor of ADHD and then being like, but it's, it's not important. These things I want to do are silly. These things I want, all the, all the talk that I've internalized in my head that I heard for the first 40 or 45 or 50 years or what time is it? Maybe even now. Yeah. So I, I didn't know all of it was related to ADHD or that to some degree, most of it, a lot of it is amplified at the very least by the ADHD. So what was Blair as a child? I was adorable. I I like to say that like I was at peak self-love, like grammar school, you know, through before we had to do the thing where you sat in desks in rows. I think I was very precocious. I started reading when I was two years old. I would like to sing. I tried to teach myself piano, but then I was told piano lessons were silly. Who told you that? My parents. (laughs) you see parents are the ones that are forcing this on their kids like my parents no they didn't want me to be frivolous they wanted to use my brain to you know do brain things as if playing the piano works look i'm not i don't want to play i don't want to defend it like i I, i'm on your side okay on this um and i was i wanted to be the the star in the in the class musical i wanted to uh, i loved school um now I was growing up in the very northeastern suburbs of New York City, and I was in the 70s. It was very free to be you and me. Mm. And in my half of the school, I was in non-traditional open classrooms from first to fifth grade. So no seats nailed down in rows. There was a lot of inner grade learning. There was a lot of self-paced learning, self-directed learning. And I thought I was the shit. (laughs) 
I was first president of my grammar school. I was so great. It's, I'm so happy to hear that because what it shows is that we were going in the right direction. And then we just completely screwed it all up. Yeah. Well, I went in that direction and then I got to junior high and that was, um, that was uh, very different. Not good. Very different. I had math teachers. You know, I had been good at math. I had a math teacher who was very well esteemed at this very competitive, even though it was public junior high school in New Jersey. And, you know, we spent a lot of time worrying about how the, you know how you used to cover your books? You have to cover the books with like mm -hmm. the paper grocery bag. We spent an awful lot of time looking at whether mine was done right or in a pretty manner. And if not getting it ripped off and having to do it again, how is that math? That's not math. Well, maybe it is some kind of geometry, but there was a lot more of that. And that took a, I never fully got used to that. And it took, uh, I went from going, being somebody who, granted it's grammar school, but like getting straight A's, being way far ahead, like being, hey, do you want to skip grade? No, thank you. Like really mm -hmm. all of that until suddenly now, now I'm not an achiever. Now I'm a little bit disappointing on and on and on. Because you can't you know, wrap a book in law and school. garbage bag. Well, granted, there was more to it than that later. But, um, you know, I really, when I was in a self-directed thing, when I had, you know, you had bumper, yeah. you know, on the on the alleys, you had guardrails. Yeah. And there were certain things you absolutely had to do. But I also could spend an afternoon writing a musical that I now realize was probably too closely based on the movie Xanadu with Olivia Newton-John. So, <laughs> you know, it was not, um, it was just something that I never really got used to. I would speak out in class, but not in a bad way. Like it was about the lesson. So I wouldn't exactly get in trouble, but my like history teacher or English teacher would be like, Blair, you should be a lawyer. Like, cause I guess lawyers, oh. they thought just interrupted people for a living, I guess. I and argued. And argued. Well, except most of us don't, but you know, or we argue it's on paper. Are, but, are you um, sure about that? But, uh, well, I don't think it was the only, uh, the only profession uh, that I could. <laughs> right. <laughs> story. So I spent the rest of my time in school feeling alternately like I am great at this thing I got to choose to do and I am stupid incompetent lazy lazy even lazy more than stupid because everyone mm. you know I went I was in a small town people teachers you know might have known like oh this is a kid who started reading really really early this is a kid who did this well now they're not achieving because they didn't do this homework or they forgot it or whatever it might be or wasn't just my area of hyper interest and uh and saying i got lazy or variations of lazy and disorganized and not doing well enough and it being my fault most of the rest of the time and how were your parents around they were all about achievement it sounds like for me they were i came out of the shoot hot you know <laughs> i was um my father was since passed away was very into education and certain very specific types of achievement. I was heavily dissuaded from doing anything in the arts or what have you. The theory being that um, 
that those things were a waste of someone's intelligence, which, of course, I could not disagree with more. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 70s, 80s, I guess, I don't know. That's where people were, or at least some people. So, yeah, it was, uh, I just needed to do better. Um. Oh, my gosh. Now I forgot where I was going. OK, well, so, welcome to the ADHD. So what happened? Because I know. So did that go through high school, too? Absolutely. And it's not like I failed out of high school. It's like I was 30. Well, that's my question, because I know you went to law school. Uh, yeah, I, no, no, no. I, I did well and I did a million activities. Right. So I was entered chief of the newspaper and head cheerleader and I started a debate club and a blah, blah, blah. So, which I think um, there's a tipping point where it turns into anxiety and too much. But the more I have to do that's interesting, it can help me get, you know, the trigonometry homework done that I'm not that interested in because I have everything else regimented. Yeah. Um, I hate structure. I love, need structure. I hate structure. I love structure. But the, uh, no, it went all the way through. Like I was 30th in the class of 250, but I wasn't fifth. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't. But you were doing it wasn't all that I didn't achieve that. anything. It was that everyone thought I should be achieving more because I was so, quote unquote, smart. Yeah. OK. And by the way, there's I am. I think I am pretty smart, but there's a lot of different ways to be smart. Totally. Absolutely. One hundred percent. I mean, how many people have you met that didn't even graduate from high school? And I think about it. They're some of the smartest. No, because oh, they're. Yes. All- Right? Yes. Yeah. A million percent. How did you get from struggling, but not really struggling, because you're still 30th out of 250 kids and you're doing all these activities. You must have known you were smart, but you still felt like, well, maybe I'm not achieving to my full potential. You end up, why law school? And was that okay with your parents? It wasn't okay with my parents. It was actually like brainwashed into me and almost mandated by my parents. Oh, Okay. So I, I was, was one of the professors. I didn't know what law school was. I showed up not knowing anything. I had a terrible first semester. Mm. You know, people had clerked at law firms and, uh, and, and, you know, there wasn't, not to sound 10 million years old, but it wasn't like I could Google, what should you do as a first year law student? Or what's law school really like? Or how do you, what's a study group? I had no idea. I went in blind, just had all these people telling me, well, you argue a lot, go to law school. And I spent, from law school on, circling around, getting closer and closer to being a performer myself in various different kinds of careers until I actually got the guts to do it. So did you graduate from law school? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I took the past couple of bar exams on the same week. Did you practice law? Only for about two and a half years. Okay, but that's practicing law. No, no, I'm I'm aware. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole time... You're thinking. I, I took the New York and New Jersey bars. I passed that same week. I passed them both the first try. I was in D.C. I worked for a First Amendment nonprofit for with a fellowship oh. for my first year, which was great. That I loved, but it paid a nickel, and it was only a year long. I went to work for the Federal Communications Commission. I was like, oh, my God, this is the most boring thing I've done in my life. I was not doing it well because I couldn't stand it. And then I thought, well, I think it would be more fun instead of being a media or entertainment lawyer, which is the first way I was going to try to get near to entertain it without doing it right. um, myself. You know, I think it'd be more fun to be an agent. And so, like, you know, there was barely an Internet. But I found out that there's this William Morris agency and I applied yeah. to get 
it through to the mailroom. At the time, there was an article that said it was, you know, statistically speaking, more difficult to get into the mailroom of the William Morris Agency than Harvard Law School. I don't know about that, but I understand what they're saying. It was very competitive. And I was various kinds of um, talent booker and manager for a decade or so until, you know, that fell apart. And then I started a whole new career. And so you got the job and you started working as an agent. Mm -hmm. Did you like that? Well, you started in the mailroom and worked your way up. So it took a couple of years. Even Um, as a lawyer. By the time I went, what's that? Even as a lawyer. Everybody's a lawyer. Everyone's oh. a lawyer. It's like in D.C. Everyone's a lawyer. Your plumber's a lawyer. At least took the LSAT. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Like everybody did that. No, who cares? Hey, there were all kinds of lawyers. All kinds of Ivy League. In fact, I was 28 or so when I went into the mailroom. I was old for that. And, you know, most of the kids were like Ivy League school kids. Like, whatever. That's good luck. That's why you even can barely be here. Okay. So... Eventually, I went back to D.C. and my first agent job was with an extremely large, well-known, probably still the largest, uh, what they would call speakers bureau in the world. So they would represent retired generals or people in the media or motivational speakers. I'm sure, I don't know, I really haven't dipped my toe in lately, but I'm sure there's a lot of successful TED Talk-ish type people. And, you know, former presidents, you know, Colin Powell was a, one of their big the speaker. So, and I did that for a number of years, but you know, I kept doing side things with trying to do entertainment stuff and the stuff on my own. And, you know, there was awful lot of rules and it was, you know, all those people were boring. I wanted to be around comedy. So, so if you had had your druthers back when you were in junior high school and high school, that's the direction that you would have chosen for yourself. I, I don't know if I would have started in stand-up comedy, but mm-hmm. yes, something I might've started in like some comedic kind of roles in like a musical theater kind of way or something like that. Yeah, sure. Yes, that's what I believe. Yeah. Okay. So I want to go back to one question I forgot to ask, and I'm always interested. It sounds like based on the fact that you're in high school and you are literally the head of this and the head of that and that you had no problem socially. Um, I wasn't fun. You weren't fun? Really? I am, you would be shocked, Tracy, at how unfun I am today. Are you I am like, I have a, I, um, I was a big rule follower because I was terrified of being bad, which apparently I was accidentally being bad all the time, not in big ways, um, but in sort of not doing as much as I could kind of ways, not fulfilling my potential ways. And my brothers on either side of me, uh, they're great now. Everything about their lives is fantastic. But they both got into uh, a lot of trouble, like legit trouble. And so um, I avoid, like, I didn't drink in high school. Like, not that that like, makes me a saint, but, you know, it just, there were plenty of people who did. I wasn't yeah. doing that. Um, I did a lot of things, but I was also very busy. And I had friends, but like, I wasn't like drinking and like doing like really rad stuff at four in the morning. So I wasn't like that kind of popular. I had a couple of friends like that, but I like I they called me to come pick them up. I didn't like, you know, go out with them to the thing. Okay, so you were the one that was basically running the show. You would be kind of like the den mom, making sure everybody was doing what they needed to be doing. If they needed help, you were the one there that was helping them. You weren't out there. 
whether they wanted that help or not oh, to this okay. very day. Okay. I'd say that <laughs> I, was one of my... I relate to that, Blair. Defining. Yeah. Uh, okay. So once you were diagnosed, and I know I'm jumping back ahead, what changed? Well, I, I don't think I'm unique in saying that it's just such a relief to know that you're not crazy. Mm. Did you really and, think you were crazy? Um, when I say crazy, I'm using that in really in a in a slang kind of way. I mean, thinking that like I'm trying to get this thing done and it keeps not getting done and I keep putting up post-it notes and I keep trying to do this and why can't I do it? It's bizarre. Mm-hmm. You know, like what kind of mental block do I have? What kind of, you know, underlying, you know, disobedience need do I have? Like, I, what is it? And it's only in the last three, four years, really, I don't think much more than three years, that I've really come to understand and it explains a lot of other things, like the emotional dysregulation aspects of it, the impulsivity aspects of it. Um, uh, the Yes, I know hyperactivity is in the name, but also like that that how it manifests in how I talk. And I don't just mean that I talk a lot, although sometimes I talk not at all, but the the loud and I, I talk with my hands and I always thought it was because I'm Italian and Jewish, but whatever. I think it has something to do with being ADHD too. And I, I think that stuff that I've come to know just in the last, like since quarantine, since like three or so years, that has really been an eye-opening experience because I would have the amount, I have this theory, and I am not a scientist. I've had many jobs, but scientists has never been one of them. And I have this theory, or sort of what sometimes I look at the ADHD like, oh, all the things, all the tools I'm given to help me manage the ADHD are things that induce stress. So even when it was just deadlines and alerts on my phone and ding, 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 and hey, 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 this is over here, this is over here. Um, or the medicines itself, or at least the kind that I take, that's some kind of stress, more of a physical stress, right? So it is, I now often wonder if I haven't slipped in often to anxiety, or if that's just the emotional dysregulation of ADHD, when I just sometimes get completely overwhelmed. Nobody sees it. I'm a very good masker. Gen X, shout out Gen X. Like, we didn't have any of this stuff. Like I said, it was, they just gave us a box of wishes. Good luck. Yeah. But I really can see now those meltdowns that sometimes nobody would see or sometimes maybe now like my husband will see or I try to at least communicate them to other people, friends or people I'm working with before I'm quite there. I, I, I try to have the presence of mind to say, hey, look, I know you don't think so and I know I don't look like it, but I'm on the edge. And if I am, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to have a meltdown in the car. So we got to like, I got to chill out here for a second. Yeah. So did that answer your question? <laughs> what has changed? And it sounds to me like what's changed is an awareness yeah, within you, right? That, oh, this is what's going on. This is why. And now I've kind of developed this toolbox of skills. Boy, when I feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm melting down. And now I ask. And now I tell people and I ask for people, we're yeah. going to go back to the office. You know, we're going to have like this style office and it's going to be more open. OK, great. I need to be over there. And I put it in a way like, look, you also want me over there. Uh-huh. You, you know, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Like you don't. 
it, it's for all of us, but it's for me. And I also have just really embraced a lot of, I am allowed to do these things I want to do, even though sometimes I say, this is stupid. My life would be so much easier if I just like did a normal job and like took that money and like went to concerts and went to Broadway shows. And I still love doing those things, watching other people do it. But just accepting like, look, you're a performer and that's what you're going to do. And it's like, sorry that it's tough, but that's what it's going to happen. So just you're going to cause a lot less stress for yourself if you just accept that. I'm only a little bit of the way there, but I'm getting there. I would have fought it all the way, even though I've been doing it for 10 years. I would have kept (laughs) some, I would have, I keep, there's always something in my head that wants to fight me that I get to do this stuff. Well, I mean, and so that's Claire is what you're doing. I can't even think of anything scarier, but there's something about the ADHD brain that we are just happier when we're running into the fire rather than running away from it. Like, well, it's so much more interesting. Like, People are like, I don't know, how could you be an ADHD doctor? I'm like, oh, an ADHD ER doctor would probably be amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, an ADHD surgeon. Now, ADHD person who looks at these very small details, I mean, it's just really what can I, I always say, like, it's uh, the hyper focus is on whatever happens to be interesting to you. So if that's finding a cure for cancer, you know, I believe. I'm going to pawn one of my own lines here, but it's it, it's it sounds funny, but it's not. It's serious. Like that hyper focusability, I believe, is where cures for cancer can come from. Absolutely. And also it's where my history of Super Bowl halftime shows flip chart comedy bit comes from. Oh, They're my just God. Different. I didn't pick it like that's I'm sorry. I'm like the lame super, you know, I'm the lame Avenger with like the sort of weird superpower. <laughs> But it's that those abilities all come from this same bigger, I'm going to call it ability, that's part of this so-called disability, which is that hyper-focus, but it's totally dependent on interest or novel or urgency like being in an ER or deadline, deadline, deadline. I'm in sales now. Deadline, 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 deadline. Yeah. So... I just cannot, as I said, think of anything scarier. I'm like, what the hell, Blair? But for me, I have, it's actually not as poor as I thought it was. It's actually pretty good. But the one thing I can't do, I can't memorize anything. I do not have good working memory. And so my question for you is, is that why you invented your flip chart halftime shows? No. You have good work, well, good memory. I know I can tell you what I do do and that I don't do that other comedians do. Okay. It, it, it's, it doesn't hurt. I created those so that people could see the vision in my head. Because this is not like cats and dogs are different, speaking of our intro. Like, it's not that kind of joke. It's you got to see, like, you know, there's like murder conspiracy boards and like there's the thread <laughs> going between all the people. That's the inside of my head. And I do a lot of that in my show. I actually, there's a part of my show where I put those threads to the other and I explain all the connections between these other, these things that seem completely separate little fun comedy bits. But what I do, I would write down thoughts and ideas or snippets and then I try it out on stage and I go in and mic and I don't care. And I go on a mic and I try it and that sometimes it's focusing and it will give me the word that makes it funnier that I couldn't think of when I was sitting there writing. 
it's the adrenaline, it's the focus, it's the whatever. And then when I am really, somebody asked me for a script of the show. And I know all the words in the show, but I have a script of my solo show that's like, I'd say it's 15, 18 months old. Like that, and even if it doesn't look like a script, it's just like written out, like, you know, you're like crazy, like a manifesto. And when I want to learn something well, this is something I discovered about myself and it explains one of my favorite ways of stimming is that I um, will record it and listen to it. And if I'm power walking or something, that's even better because that if I'm walking or cleaning the house, that's keeping like the monkey side of the brain like busy. Yeah. I know there's like real science words for what that part of the yeah. brain is, but whatever. I get you know, it. The one that wants to like get into the wires and the gremlins, it keeps that part busy. And so I can focus a little better on the words. And some people have a photographic memory. I think I have an audio audiographic memory. Ah. And I, that's why I, I had a great vocabulary because I would listen to things. But I didn't know how to spell that well. And I, you know, there's spell check. And it wasn't and wasn't dyslexic, all those others in my family are. But the audio playback, if I heard a song, I could sing it immediately. I could back in the day when I would listen to a, a HBO comedy special, Eddie Murphy or somebody in the 80s, I would once, maybe twice, couple, I remember all of it. It has a rhythm, like comedy has a rhythm like music. So, so could you do that with music, too, where you'd hear a song and you would know all the words? I would do some or I would certainly the beat and it would stay in my head and a lot of a lot of the words. And I I have this little clip from after one of my shows talking, doing audience Q&A and I feel like uh, talking about songs to me, making up songs. When I feel again, la, 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 da, 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 I make up a song to keep myself doing it so I don't lose focus, you know. I use that both to keep me interested in doing something boring, but also as a memory device, learning device, what it cope, and also as a soothing device. Mm. Like I just got dry needled earlier this morning. What's dry needled? You don't want to know if you don't know, but it has to do with like I'm hypermobile a bit. It seems that I have a lot of issues because of that, uh-huh. and uh, helping with my arms and hands post carpal tunnel. They, they put a little needle in and they release these knots in your thing. Sure. So some people, look, some people scream, Tracy. But um, <laughs> that would be me. But, but I am like, I don't scream when I'm in there. I'm doing something like this. I'm singing something about the rockets to myself. There's a dog. There's a dog. Look at that little dog. So like that helps me. So when you say you can't memorize things, and everybody's different, even with an ADHD, everybody's different, right? Oh, so, yeah. But for me, I less try to learn it off the page. If I can listen to it over and over again, I'm going to have a better time. Yeah, that's so incredibly fascinating. And I think based on listening to what you're saying, and I'm thinking of my daughter and my, my son, who they both, well, I think my, my son also has a, what's the ideatic memory? Um, okay, but they're both so good with music. They hear a song. They remember the lyrics. They I remember heard the one melody. of your podcasts with your daughter is going in the music industry, like law school, well, right? She's in law school. <laughs> been her Look, it happens to the best of us. She'll get yeah. better. Yeah, but exactly. She's interested in entertainment law, and that's what she was working on and or working in an entertainment law firm. And she still loved the law. 
And I thought that would totally well, that's what she's And she's also doing what she's interested in yeah. in the law. You know, there's a million things you can yes. do in, with law. Yes. So. Well, then the other day she said, Mom, I'm kind of interested in civil rights law, too. I'm like, I knew you would be. <laughs> yeah, no, when I did First Amendment law, I, if I no. could have kept doing that, maybe I would still be doing that. Exactly. But, uh, that was not an option. They don't give out those jobs on it. Our brains want it all. We love anything that is new, bright, sparkly, different. But that's often what keeps us distracted and feeling all over the place. So I have something that I know can help you. It's my free masterclass called What Do I Do With My Life From Chaos to Confidence? This popular class will give you the tools to make faster, more confident decisions that actually serve you so you're doing what you really want to do instead of what others are telling you that you should do. You know, we try so hard to fit in when in reality, that's the problem. With our ADHD brains, our brilliant ADHD brains, we're not meant to fit in. We're actually meant to stand out. So that begs the question, where are we actually meant to stand out? Join me at spyhappy.me forward slash MC. That's spyhappy.me forward slash MC. And let's find out together. Now, let's get back to our podcast. Tell us about Lady ADHD. Where the hell did that come from? Did it come after COVID where you're like, I'm going to embrace this? Mid-quarantine, I would say the first show was the summer, or I want to say 2021, like after at least where I was in the greater DC area, like most people had gotten their vac- both doses of their first vaccine. And we thought this, we we're going to ride this forever and it was going to take care of everything. And I was I was asked to do a one-person show, and I was like, well, I don't want to just do regular stand-up. You know, I had these flip chart bits. I don't want to just do regular stand-up. I want it to mean more. I started to put it together, and I had a back deck, and I'd have these little groups of three or four or five people come watch me do stuff on the back deck and give me feedback, like other performers or theater people. And somebody asked me, like, but why are you doing these flip charts? Why? And And the way he asked me, and he did me a great favor, but I was pissed off. (laughs) <laughs> and I said something to the effect of, because I'm so sick of showing up to shows and people would see me backstage with this flowchart and just assume that it was just going to suck and I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm just, nobody talks to me. And then I go out there and I'm a genius. And it's like, you know what? Why didn't you, you know, we were both at the same thing. We're both at the same festival. So maybe it just doesn't suck. I'm so tired of sitting alone. I'm already a hundred million years old compared to other comics. I didn't start till I was 43. Yeah. So, you know, and just so condescending the tones I would get about it. And then, you know, it's just, they, they do so well and they're so interesting. And as if I maybe didn't spend all the time it took to make it, you know, something that was understandable to the audience and all these, all the process I went through. And I just had a lot of, you know, well, you should do more jokes like, you know, cats and dogs are different. And I'm like, I do my thing. I don't want to do everything that everybody else does. And maybe I'm never going to be on late night TV. And maybe I'll never be famous. Sarah Vowell, famous, the historian who also is a voice in The Incredibles. That's like the perfect level of fame for me. But yeah, maybe I'll never get Sarah Vowell famous. But you don't have to be such a jerk about it. You don't know what you're talking about. and. And then I started exploring all so what the ADHD. So what did that have to do with the flip charts? 
people are very judgmental, Tracy. I don't know if you know that. show up with the flip chart or did you design the flip chart so they would be less judgmental? I don't get it. I designed the flip charts because it was funnier. Oh. And it was funnier in part because I have a better way of explaining it than I did five years ago, but it is because I've tried to do it using a screen and PowerPoint, whatever. Right. And I'm like, Lines. it does not give the energy of the crazy conspiracy board. That's the energy you want. The flip chart with these crazy pictures cut out and pasted together like it was done in a fever dream. But also like it's all there in the flipping of the thing. Physical, yeah. It, it's all physical and different and so much more interesting than going to a show and looking at another screen with more pictures on it, you know, like digital pictures on it that we do all day long. And I did it so that what part of the reason that makes it funnier is all that, all those pieces of that device and the vibe. The other part is just that it does allow people to follow along with joke or longer bit that is going to be a little more complicated mm. than cats and dogs are different. Although I have a great cat flip chart comedy. So that is so interesting because as I was watching you, because I went and watched you, I was thinking, oh, oh, the reason she does this is to keep herself on track. But that's not no. the reason at all. You don't need to keep yourself on track. Keep everybody on, it's to keep the slow pokes on track. So, you know, I've got this book coming out. And so, of course, they want to send me on a speaking circuit. And I am freaking out because I have no memory for anything. And I remember saying to my speaker, I was a speaking agent, Tracy. I could I, I'm not going to be an agent. Well, I, can, I can give you some tips. Tell me what you got. I, I should probably I should probably get some tips from you. So my thought was, oh, get a flip chart to keep yourself on track. So you remember sure. where you're going and you don't end up over here. But you don't either. Do you could do that at like cue cards. And yeah, when I first did them ever, you know, there was always this thing like, well, if I kind of forget what's next, I can always look at the picture. But I never really needed, once I'd done it a couple times, I never really needed to do that. It was, it's much more about the vibe and keeping, like, wanting people to see the inside of my head because part of what's funny is how into this I am. Yeah. And how deep down this rabbit hole I am. And so for me, that's part of it. But in general, if I'm able to perform something over and over again, even hearing my own voice, it, I yes, do we love the sound of our own voice? But seriously, hearing myself say something helps me remember it. Hearing myself say it out loud, even if I barely ever write it down, if I refine it, if I record it and listen it back to myself, that helps me. Wow. Well, yeah, you could have cue cards. What do you think? Every author's out there is some kind of genius speaker? No, no, not even close. Oh, so, you know, I've always been told I'm funny, but I'm not funny like you funny, where I could put together a whole routine and then remember, like, I wouldn't even remember what was funny or how to tell the story. I can only be funny impromptu, right? Where it's something that I think of and my response is funny. Well, that's improv. That's that's a different kind of comedy. They have improv comedy and it's a thing and you could go do it. Uh, I did it for years before I did this. And I think in some ways stand-up is more restrictive than improv. Harder. And I do these crazy things in part because I come from that background of the improv comedy. And I like being more free on stage and, you know. Yeah. 
So, Blair, what did you learn while creating Lady ADHD about your own ADHD or how it was affecting aspects of what people typically think of when they think of ADHD symptoms or having ADHD? That is, since putting that together, I mean, the person who was sort of my director for this first iteration, a, a comic who had some theater background, they use the word neurodivergent. I'm like, I don't know what that is, as I had mentioned earlier in this yeah. podcast. Um, I learned about, I think, the emotional dysregulation part and the rejection, um, the RSD, the rejection sensitivity dysmorphia. That was all new. I learned how unusual it is. And I, I my hunch, it's not based on much, just my hunch, um, I was, though I was not disruptive, as I had mentioned in class, in a way where, like, I'm punching a hole in the wall and kicking <laughs> kids. I was disruptive, like, in the confines of what was going on in the classroom, and I had read the book, you know, like, so, like, I'm shouting out ideas without raising my hips. The, so they got, most teachers in middle, like, they had bigger problems than that. So I wouldn't exactly get in trouble, but I was annoying, and the you were also interested, right? Well, that was the problem. The more interested I was in your class, the more annoying I was going to be. Oh my gosh! And the more I like you, the more annoying I am to you right now. That is uh, that is the blessing of a friendship with Blair Postman. But <laughs> this outward hyperactivity, the the talking, not just in my head. It is not the inattentive type, which mm -hmm. I just saw recently. Now they think might be its own thing. Related to ADHD, but, oh, we only have one attention ailment, so we're going to cram them all into ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. But I, um, this is something associated much more with boys than with girls growing up. And I think it might have to do just with how girls are socialized. Yep. Especially, you know, more than the last five to ten years yes. growing up than it does with necessarily with chemicals. But I don't know that. It's a theory. I'll let the experts figure that out. But that my kind of ADHD, that's when I would meet other female identifying folks who had ADHD and I didn't think, I didn't seem exactly like them. And then talking to them, we're like, oh, no, no, all of this stuff that makes it out of my mouth, but there's some more up there. It's all up there. It's all it's all the same. You're just not saying it out loud. Yes. Our hyperactivity is the chattiness, right? Yeah, we don't see that as a symptom. We're like, the chattiness. Oh, women, uh, they yeah, talk I'm, too much, right? Yeah, and I I'm, clearly I do that, too. This is why it's like, can we do an hour podcast? We're going to try. <laughs> so what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? Knowing you have it which is extremely complicated and difficult, especially for women, especially for women of color. I'll say that again, especially mm -hmm. for women of color and women in general. Yeah. Um, so knowing you have it, getting some kind of treatment for it. Mm -hmm. I believe in medicine as long as it is not working for you and the side effects for you don't outweigh the benefit. For me, they absolutely are good. But, you know, in this most recent shortage, I used to be on extended release. It cannot be found. There was a little bit of the one kind that my insurance stopped using. I can't even get Vyvanse anymore, my insurance, blah, blah, blah. So 
in the last few months, I've had to remember now to take a pill four times a day and it's had to be changed. And that is not good. It's not good for me. It's not good for people around me. It's much more up and down. So being able to get the things that will help you also is the key. Yeah. Before all of this, the managing, yes, deadlines and all of those things help. However, if you don't like the job, like the career, the big picture thing that you're doing, you're not going to like everything about every job or the relationship or where you live. If you just are trying to make yourself like something and do what you might be able to do it because you're really smart and you can trick yourself, it's going to be very stressful. And so the thing I am trying to balance now, uh, oh, excuse me, also believing that it's real mm. is also key and making it clear to the people in your life, work, strangers on the street, that it's effing real. Uh, yeah. And would you like me to pull up some scans from the internet? And not letting a joke go by. Yeah. I can lose my sense of humor easily. So knowing you have it, all the issues, getting the things that you need to deal with it, medicine or coaching, whatever else it is, and then all the issues of getting those things. Uh, believing that it's real and making sure the people around you know whatever they think, fine, but you believe it's real. Yeah. And then for me, balancing the things that help it so they do not tip into anxiety. I have never been diagnosed with anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, and it may be because of the medication shortages, when I could take one pill and it released itself all day, it seemed much better. If I'm on a call and I miss something and then I have to take it later. And also, here's four pills a day. You figure out when to take them. Nobody tells you like, it's every two hours, four hours, three and a half. No one says anything. It's different probably for everyone, but still, no guidance. So remember something, remember to do something repeatedly at weird intervals that you figure out to do them. And by the way, you're bad at every part of that thing I just described. So making sure I don't slip into anxiety in any sustained way while doing the things that help it. Mm. And yet, a lot of the things that help it are sort of, a, in some way, are anxiety producing. That's the intention. We're trying to get that free dopamine. Now, and I will say this, which is not, I don't always believe this, but sometimes I get pissed off and I believe it. And I'm like, I want to say, look, world, I'm over here making deadlines. My phone's digging a hundred times. I got the complicated planners. I got people yelling at me because this is missing. Meanwhile, I made a work hour overnight. Nobody cares about it. It's fantastic. No one cares. Uh, so I'm tired. <laughs> that doesn't help. And uh, you know what? I'm taking these pills for you guys. I'm making these calendar invites for you so I can pay my electricity on time. Yes. Does that have some impact on me if we don't get the electricity turned off? Yes. <laughs> sometimes in my mind, I want to say, world, I was, I kind of have a good time left to my own devices and I create really interesting things. Sometimes the water gets turned off, but a lot of it is great. Yeah. So at least 50 to 70% of me taking the pills and having all these three different online calendars with five notifications for this podcast recording today 
uh, that started two days ago and everything else world is for you. So you want to keep not getting us medicines that we need or not giving the help that we need or the therapy that we need or the coaching that we need. Maybe we'll all just stop. And then maybe you have five, 10% of the country running around creating amazing stuff. But, you know, we're not, we're, we're not filing the paperwork at our job correct anymore. And also, we don't care. We're just going to go off and make like a new Portland, Oregon or something. Like, and there might be some, there might be some road issues. We'll find somebody whose hyper focus is like civil engineering. It'll work out. But like, it'll be a little wacky sometimes. Because I, I want to go off to like ADHD Brigadoon. So do not try me. That is my other thing lately. Do not try me, world. I am out here doing the best I can, trying to get all these pills and coaching and doctors and insurance changing. We're trying. And they make but it. if I didn't try, my life would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. <laughs> but a lot of it would be cool. <laughs> I'm sure it would be, Blair. Okay, so... Tell us what you're working on. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us about your shows. Blah, 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 blah. Sure. The, um, I got like three or five minutes. I tour nationally for stand-up and for my solo show, Lady ADHD. Lady ADHD is sort of like a tour inside my brain about how I came up with these different flip chart comedy bits, but also how what I discovered about myself and my brain a lot of it relating to ADHD and how things are more connected than we think they are. So it's sort of like a look, start part comedy, part TED Talk sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I'm next, I don't know when this is going to come out. I'm in September. I'm going to be in Knoxville, Nashville, Asheville, uh, Roanoke, Virginia. I'm going to be in McKinney, Texas, just outside Dallas. I'm going to be in Arlington, Virginia, just outside DC in October. I'm going to be in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm going to be in Baltimore. I'm going to be in Utah, I'm going to be some other places. The best way to see everything is at ADHDcomedy.com. That is also my TikTok, ADHD Comedy on TikTok. My Instagram is Postman Comedy. Postman like the mailman. That is my real last name. Postman Comedy. If you sign up for my newsletter, you get discounts. You can get, you know, discounts on merch like to the, the stickers like let's say Lady ADHD in a fun font and I have post-it notes from the desk of Lady ADHD, all that kind of stuff. But you can get discounts to shows. You can sometimes see some like new new videos or new stuff that I don't put on the internet um, generally. So it's fun. So if you go to ADHDcomedy.com, everything is there. My tour schedule is there with links to ticket and also um, videos and, and lots and, and the sign up for my email occasional once or twice a month email newsletter. Wonderful. So we'll have all of this in the show notes. Do you know when you're going to be in Nashville? Yeah, I do. I'm going to be in Nashville on the 14th of September. September 14th. I have some really good friends um, that are from San Francisco, but they they have a home in Nashville. And I was- Well, I I recommend they come. Yeah. I want to come before at Third Coast Comedy. They're great. I'll be in Knoxville for two days before that. So, um, you're busy. I am busy. Yes. But you love it. I love being busy. I would love to be, have to do only this stuff. I have recently hired somebody who is not exactly like me to just do three to five hours of personal assistant work a week on comedy only. 
logistics, AV requirements, checklists, game changer. And it was more, and I'm not paying them a million dollars or a new mom stay at home. Yeah. Game changer. Tell us why. I know you only have a few minutes, but tell us why. Because I talk about it. It was taking up so much time for me to track. Does everyone have the ticket links up? Does everyone have all of the, I create all of this promo stuff and all these flyers. Do they have them? Are they up? Are they using them? Do they have my AV requirements? Do they have a lav mic, you know, for a lady ADHD show? I, and it's taking me away from, and I got more for her to do. And so uh, it was taking me away from the creative and other stuff too much. It can't all be that, but it was taking me away too much from the, the thing that my job is to make more creative stuff. And when I get to the place to do the show, to be good at doing the creative stuff I said I was going to do. Yeah. Nope. It, it is. It's a total game changer. And then you're focusing your attention on the stuff that you are so brilliant at, right? That you love to do. Right. Blair, thank you yes. so much for spending thank time. Thank you. Today. We had a rocky start, but I think we worked it out. Yeah, not, not personally. We had a rocky AV start. Yeah, exactly. A rocky tech start, right? Right. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Blair, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.